Welcome back to the Boneyard Podcast. This is Jared Shaffit and Artemis Brower. We're coming to you this week with episode 16. Ooh, How are we 16. doing? Uh, guys, it, this this time has flown by considering that we started this during a pandemic. Um, I, I never thought we would have had enough to talk about to make it to 16 episodes, but yeah. Artie... Here we are. We started this the first week of March. It is the end of June, and we are cranking these things out with the consistency. So I love it. Love it. We are cranking these things out, and we, we hope you all are enjoying them. Um, we got another great episode this week, Artie. Mm-hmm. Um, a, an episode that we're excited for. It's an it's a interview that we've been trying to get for a couple weeks now, and uh, we finally got him, y'all. Um, we're going to have Terrence Copper Sr. on the podcast uh, today and this week. Um, for those of you that fo- have followed ECU for a long time, and even those of you that haven't, you should know Terrence's name. Um, played four years at ECU, mm-hmm. had had a pretty decent uh, career in the NFL, and spent some time in over, across what four teams over eight years. So I know already you you have some questions about yeah. about that. And a, a lot of the, a lot of the guys that we've interviewed so far, they kind of been recent grads. So it's going to yep. be kind of it's going to be kind of cool to interview a, an OG, I would say, of the of, of the Pirate Nation. He played in the early two thousands. I mean, this, uh, this guy. ECU, so this guy played for I mean, the probably the greatest, if not one, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, coaches in ECU history. Mm-hmm. And Steve Logan, he played for him for three years, mm-hmm. and then um, the I mean. Everybody knows Steve Logan's history, so it's going to be great to kind of see, especially for the first time on the Boneyard Podcast, kind of what that was like playing for for that right. great head coach. Like, what was the era legend. like back then in the early 2000s? Yeah, playing for Steve Logan, you know, very inter- interested to pick his brain on how the era was around campus and, and in the locker room. So, Yeah, most definitely. I'm, I'm excited for that as well. Um, I just I, – I'm, I'm ready to do that. Um, talk to him later on in the podcast mm-hmm. um it, it's gonna be a fun time usually we record interviews before we we record the podcast but this week uh with some scheduling tweaks we we're gonna record the interview after mm-hmm. so um yeah that that'll be fun to to talk with terrence copper um absolutely today. so already other than that other than Starting a podcast this uh, today and doing that. How, how have you been, man? I'm good, brother. I'm real good. I had to get up early this morning to go into work for a couple hours. So I'm a little tired, but I'm ready to go now, man. I got. I'm sitting here drinking this uh, new serum. Yeah, man. New serum from Salisbury Brewing Company. Double berry milkshake, Berliner Weiss. Yeah, Jared. Jared came in with <laughs> with, a, with a six pack of these, so yeah, man. giving these a try. It's a little tart, but it's not bad. It's pretty good. Yeah, we're both drinking them, and I mean it. No free ads, but I just kind of went into my local beer shop and I was like, I just want something different. Mm-hmm. I want something that was kind of refreshing, but also kind of just tasty. I don't know, tasty and, and refreshing. Yeah, you don't. A lot of times you get the refreshing or you get the tasty. This one we've got both. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm really excited to finish off this six pack. We're gonna do it this episode already. Um, oh, we're gonna finish a six pack off this episode. Yeah, and then we're gonna finish those two Bud Lights that we had from yesterday's golf. I left the Bud Lights in Zach's cooler. Jesus Christ, man! <laughs> I was so excited to drink those Bud Lights, man. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a rookie mistake. I messed up on that one. Yeah, that rookie mistake. But um, yeah, we had two. I had two Bud Lights left over from our round of golf yesterday. I, I just so hot, man. I could, I just couldn't pull myself to do it on, on our round of golf, but. Which, speaking of golf, just one little nugget. Uh, I shot under 100 yesterday, so I'm very proud of that. It's baby steps, people. Baby, baby, baby steps. I'm, I'm not Phil Mickelson out here trying to, you know, Guys, shoot in the 60s and 70s yet. Artie, what, what was the text when I sent you the screenshot of the, that tweet? What was the text you got from that? Or, like, do you remember what I said after that? Uh, you said you were just trying to, to talk about a round or something like that. I, I just wanted to talk about the round that I had. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't care about talking about your round. And then I just got Guys. attacked on Twitter. <laughs> Guys, I, uh, I, I, had a, I had the round of my life. I'm just going to say that here. Jerry um, played very well yesterday. I, I must concur. He played very, very, I mean, very well. Back nine, I was plus five. I won't talk about the – or front nine, I was plus five. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a I'm – a, 18, 19 handicap, so I'm, I'm an average uh, bogey golfer, <laughs> but 
I mean, looking at how I played yesterday, yeah, I ended up about where I'm where I usually end up. But that front nine, man. And then yeah, you, you had you had a chip in I think on hole eight, was, eight or nine. It was hole nine. Hole nine. Par five for birdie. That's one of the the best shots I've ever seen from anybody anywhere. So definitely had had a round for the ages yesterday. And, and then everybody, we got to guys. I know if you if you're not into golf, you probably don't care. We played at this course called Crooked Tree here, and uh, it's what Brown Brown Summit, Summit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brown Summit, North Carolina, about 15 minutes outside of Greensboro, and. Uh, I'd never played there. The three guys I was playing with, Artie and some of his buddies, we they'd all played there before, and everybody had been talking all day about hole eleven. Everybody was like, "Yeah, you're gonna watch out for hole eleven, mm-hmm. man." And so we get through the turn, and um, we had, we had some hot dogs. I got I had some refreshments. You got to eat at the turn, people. <laughs> got that, got that to is eat the key. at the turn. So <laughs> I'm uh, I eat my two hot dogs, mustard ketchup. Uh, not not as good as a sup dog hot dog, but <laughs> we'll we'll get to that later in the episode. But um, yeah, we I, I think I bogeyed I bogeyed ten probably mm-hmm. probably feeling myself still after that after that birdie on nine. Yeah, but everybody's talking everybody's talking. Oh yeah, you're gonna put like three or four balls in the water because it's a par three. It's an island green. Mm-hmm. You have to go all the way over the water, and it's a long stretch of water. You got to get over. Yeah, and it. It's about 185. We were playing what from the Blues? From the Blues, yep. And it it was about 185 to the to the pin, and I uh, I um I hit it within 10 feet of the flag and just just put it right there on the green. At, just at, nice soft touch. After just, the three other guys that we were playing with put 10 I think, to 15 I think, yeah, balls I, in I the think, water. I think Otis put about four or five in the water. Zach put about two or three. I gave up. I put three in the water and just gave up and just dropped. <laughs> and, I, and I just hit my six iron and put it 10 feet from the hole, birdied that hole and walked away, left everybody in dismay. So, guys, if you want to play golf, uh, we've talked about it with some other guests. We're going to try to play golf with some of them in the future, maybe do some content. But if you want to play golf, hit us up. We'll come to a city near you. Um, <laughs> you'll, you'll pay the green fees, but we'll, we'll, we'll come out and, and enjoy realm with you. Maybe. Absolutely. We'll bring the beer. How's that? That'll work. Okay. Um, so, Artie, all of the 2020 class, everybody that is on the roster has now finally enrolled in school. Mm-hmm. They're in Greenville, and they're either attending the voluntary workouts or just getting acclimated. Um, it's good to see there were some guys that were in this new recruiting class that we were worried about making it mm-hmm. to, to Greenville and to ECU as a whole. Um, one of those is Mason Garcia, and, man, this kid – has been, he, he's been. I've seen some pictures of him at the voluntary workouts. This kid, 6'4", 225 pounds. He looks like he could be playing in the NFL right now. There's a comment that they made um, on Twitter yesterday, saying that this guy is a full man child, and I couldn't agree more. I don't know how anybody can look the way he looks at 18 years old. Like just like he's and, chiseled out of stone, he tall. Can, he can I mean, spin it too, man. Yeah, it's just very very excited. I, I you know I, I knew he was good because I saw highlights of him. Um, but yeah, when you see him, you know, after voluntary workouts, and you see him stacked up against these other guys, like man, he looks like a you know fifth year senior out there, man. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's out there, and I mean, Holt Aylers isn't a. He's not a small guy, but he's out there making Holden look small. Yeah, I mean, Holt, I think Holden's six two, listed six two, two hundred fifteen. Not a small guy at all. And this guy's six five, two twenty five. So. I mean, it's nice to see him. Nice to see some of these other guys. Rajai Harris being in there from another guy from South Carolina, mm-hmm. um, playing and coming in. I think I think he's going to be a big time uh, guy going forward. And we'll, we'll talk about that later with some of our Twitter questions. But yep. um, yeah, it's it's just nice to see these guys. This is one of the best classes we've had in a while. And it's just good to see them get back to a bit of normalcy. You know, they're out there. They're bonding they're connecting and they're they're you know running around i mean they're not doing too too much they're not really practicing practicing um but you know they're getting a flow of each other and how they can play with each other and so i love to see that because you know at this point we'd be full swing into into you know spring training and training camp so uh absolutely love to see them out there doing these vol- and it's voluntary it's not not like they have to you know have to be there so it's it's good to see them go out there and slinging around a little bit and get to know each other and connect with the coaches so yeah we uh I mean, we we haven't been there. Y'all know that we're in Greensboro, but um, I mean, it, 
right now what's going on is they're going through these workouts, these practices, um, still play mainly players. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't think I still don't think coaches are allowed to be there, but um, it, it's really just your offensive guys making running routes, um, throwing the ball. I know. So you said coaches were not allowed to be. I, there. I do not think that coaches are okay. allowed. I did not know that. Uh, I know. Usually, it's it's a little bit different the time frame on what can happen, what cannot happen. Mm-hmm. But with how with that, with with how um, the the COVID nineteen all this scheduling, I don't think coaches are allowed to be there right now. Mm-hmm. And I may be wrong, um, but y'all know that. With with our podcast, we we try to be as knowledgeable as possible. Absolutely, but we know we're not going to be one hundred percent perfect. This is something we do part time for for Pirate Nation. Um, but yeah, I I think it, it's great to see. I'm glad to see that these guys are really like you said, getting to know each other and mm-hmm. um, starting to work together. And I mean, our offense, if our offense can produce like it did the second half of last year, we won't have a problem this year winning some ball games. It's just – I just really hope there's not a quarterback controversy. I don't think there is. Off, off the rip, you know. I, I don't because think there is. I really want to see Houghton go into and, and develop into his own and, and become the guy. And then while also seeing Mason Garcia develop and then eventually turn into the guy after Houghton has, has gone and left. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't think you have a quarterback controversy this year. Um, I really don't think you have one next year because what's going to likely happen – is they're going to get Mason Garcia some reps maybe in those first mm-hmm. four games. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to then probably redshirt. Yeah. That, that's what I w- – if I was a coach at EC, that's probably what I'm going to do. That's absolutely what I would do. And mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think there's a controversy. that It might look a lot like how it did Holton's freshman year when he started coming in and then they were like, all right, are we going to redshirt him? Are we not going to redshirt him? And mm-hmm. then – they burned his red shirt when they allowed him to play in his fifth game. Right. So, I mean, I think I think you'll see that there won't be a quarterback controversy this year. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in the next year we might. And then, right. Um, guys, I, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. If we show – if Mason Garcia goes out here and shows that he, he's what he's capable of, there may be a good chance that – he doesn't stay at ECU. The, yeah, there, there's, and that's, that's what I was worried about because so, – And I think that's the main reason that – I think that's the main reason Coach Houston and staff brought in three quarterbacks in this class. You mm-hmm. got Stubblefield and you got Alex Flynn. Um, also to go with Brian Gag, which, I mean, don't count out Brian Gag. Brian Gag is a very talented quarterback. And um, – he, he hasn't seen as much playing time, mm-hmm. but it would be nice to get him in um, and, and get him some get him some more reps. Right now, I think, honestly, I think Brian Gag is your number two. Okay. He, he's had a full year in the in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's been through the whole – he's been through the grind of a football season. Right. He's gotten some reps in game time. Just based off of experience, he's probably yeah. going to be the two. He's Right now, he's the number two. When you have a guy Mason Gar- like Mason Garcia coming in, Stubblefield coming in, who are coming in in July for a or late June, excuse mm-hmm. me, for a football season that football season that starts in two months. Yep, it, it's going to be hard. And a season that might not start on time. We still don't know if this is really going to start on time. But so with that being said, though, they still have to learn the systems, mm-hmm. and especially with everything that's going on with COVID, I don't know if they learn the systems right now. And you might see all three of those, or at least two of those quarterbacks, redshirt. It would not surprise me at all if you see Mason Garcia and uh, Stubblefield redshirt this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could see Alex Flynn keeping that redshirt. I don't think he's. Uh, I think he's right now going to be the fourth or fifth quarterback on the on the depth chart. Mm-hmm. He, he's not going to be. He's not going to be fighting for third right now. Um, he, he can spin it, but I think that the other two incoming freshmen are ahead of him when it comes to talent. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex Flynn was just kind of a late pickup in this, in this class um, that, I mean, nobody was nobody was expecting to, for us to bring him in. Right. And, you know, offensively, 
we've always had studs, right, on the on the offensive side of the ball, whether it receiver, receiver running back, baby. you know, quarterback. But the kind of depth that we have now at the quarterback position, at the wide receiver position, at the running back position, I, I can't remember a time where I've seen an ECU team offensively and say, okay, we got some real depth from the one to the two to even the three. Um, we can rotate some of these guys in and really get them some some quality playing time. And I, I can't remember a time, even you know, with the the Shane Carden years and the Zay Jones Jones years and the Justin Hardy years, where we had that much depth offensively on that side of the ball. So I'm really really excited. Yeah, and um, I, I think I think we all um, are ready for the football season. Um, like you mentioned earlier, I don't we don't know if the football season is going to start on time. Um, right now, um, ECU has had one positive test, mm-hmm. um, one positive COVID-19 test. So, who, who knows? Um, that person hasn't been identified. Right. We, we, don't, we don't know if it's a student, if it's an athlete, if it's, you know. Well, it, it isn't. It's an athlete, but we don't know if it's a we – don't, we don't know who it is. They're not going to release that. And they're not – yeah, they're and not, they, not going to release that to the public. They shouldn't. Um, and they won't. They're not even releasing whether it's an athlete or a coach. I have reason to believe it's an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, from reading the guidelines, the athlete is. Um, it, it's he's gonna self isolate mm-hmm. by himself, and then his roommates are also gonna self isolate, and um, be in quarantine until they their tests come back negative. So that's how they're kind of keeping everybody separate. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll kind of see how things shake out over the next two weeks or so. But um, hopefully nobody else, hopefully they'll still be able to contain this. Mm-hmm. Um, at least it's not like Clemson who had another like 20 players test positive this past week. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it, it's tough to see. But these things are going to happen. I was, about to, I was just going to say that this, this was bound to happen. Um, you can plan for it. But we know that, you know, just one individual person knows hundreds of people themselves. So this was bound to happen. Um, at, you know, you got to self-isolate. You got to follow the, the rules and guidelines of, of, you know, health officials and um, doctors and, and, and scientists. But, you know, we, we, we planned for this. We knew that this was going to happen. We knew that not all the athletes and not all the students were going to be 100% COVID-free. I mean, that, this was just going to happen. So, Yeah, definitely. And, um I think that I think as things go on, hopefully we'll see everybody staying healthy and and safe. Um, and this is just one out of 192 tests that the university has done um, so far. So they're going to continue to test these guys. They're um, doing, I believe, they're doing um, temperature checks twice a day, every day, um, if they're going into like the weight room and things like that. And I saw I saw an article that came out by Hoist the Colors. Stephen Igo put out an article about um, how they're going to go through and keep social distancing as they move into July and into actual practices. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're going to use some other of the facilities. I know they're going to use like Minji's Coliseum for one, um, and parts of that arena to keep social distance. So um, the the coaches and the team they know what they're doing. They know how to keep their players safe. So, uh, with that being said, I, I think that's enough on the test. I, I don't really think there's anything else to talk about with that. Um, but, Artie, why don't we go ahead and kind of change it up a little bit? You want to send it over to our interview with Terrence Copper? Let's do it. Let's go ahead and send it over. All right. So, here's our interview with Terrence Copper. Um, I hope you enjoy. Today we're pleased to be joined by Terrence Copper. Terrence Copper is a former ECU wide receiver who spent four years at ECU, and then he spent eight years with four teams in the NFL. Terrence, how's it going, man? How you doing? We're doing great, man. We're, we're chilling. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so uh, we, want, we wanted to kind of get started, and um, we, we wanted to – First question I had, you played mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. You mm-hmm. played for legendary coach Steve Logan. I wanted, yep. to kind of, I wanted to see what that was like. How was it playing for arguably one of the most legendary coaches in ECU history? Uh, coach Logan, he knew his stuff. 
truthfully, <laughs> truthfully, he was the way he ran his offense made my transition to the NFL a lot easier because uh, we didn't run the offenses like the way offenses are ran now, just spread the entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, we ran a pro style offense. So once I got to the league, you know, that transitioning from from college to the NFL was a lot. It wasn't easy, but it was a lot easier because of the way I was taught uh, through Coach Logan and the way he ran, way he ran practices, way he ran his, uh, way he has things set up in his playbook. It was really a pro style offense that we was in, you know. But Coach Logan, he was a tough coach, but he was a fair coach, and he always shot it straight. You know, he never. Uh, cut corners or just say stuff to make you feel good. You know, he told you the truth and you can respect that. That's true. Now, now Terrence, you're from uh, Little Washington. The uh, mm-hmm. so, you're, so you're from the 252 area. Was was ECU always the goal? Was it always the goal for you to get to ECU on a football scholarship or was there maybe another place or another school that you wanted to go to? No, so East Carolina was not the goal. Okay. Uh, but I always was a Pirate fan because like I said, I'm in the backyard. So I always hear uh, about the guys that played there, guys that I really looked up to was like Troy Smith. He was one of the receivers that I looked up to. When I went to – I forgot what grade I was in, but I went to an East Carolina game when we played NC State at home. And I love the way Troy ran his routes. I used to watch Troy during uh, pregame warm-ups. So he was a big reason of why I really liked East Carolina because I loved the way he worked. I loved his uh, – his route running, his work ethic, I loved it. You know, so that was a big reason why I came. But truthfully, I, the way I got East Carolina was, uh, for one, my coach, Pascal. Coach Pascal was my high school coach in high school. Okay. And when I came out of high school, I had a lot of different offers. I had Penn State, uh, Kentucky, uh, Notre Dame, uh, East Carolina, Wake Forest. So I had some schools that came after me, but East Carolina was the first team that offered me first. And when I went into the meeting room with Coach Logan, he sat me down and he was like, well, Terrence, he said, when you leave here, you know, you're going to be the number one receiver when you leave here. Uh, he said, uh, you get to keep your number, uh, number seven, because my high school number. Because mm-hmm. I think Weaver, I think his name was Weaver. He was played quarterback here. He was leaving the year I was coming in. And he was number seven. And so he was like, well, you get to keep your number seven. And he said, and we're not going to redshirt you. And so for me, as a young guy, that, and I played varsity all four years in high school. So for a young guy coming in and they're saying, listen, we're not going to redshirt you. You just continue to keep right on playing. Because I've been playing. Uh, like I said, I never played JV. So that was music to my ears. Yeah. And he said, under one condition. You can't take any more visits. He said, if you take any more visits, you're going to take the offer. <laughs> and so, but honestly, everything that Coach Logan said, you know, was true. I didn't register. I kept my number. And when I, when I was done in East Carolina, I think I was number two or number three all-time receiving uh, when I left. And that was before, you know, of course, when the spread off and started coming, you know, that those numbers just kind of, Got yeah. thrown out the window. Yeah. But, you know, he held true to everything he said, and I can appreciate him for that. Yeah, and that, that's always great to hear. And that, that's one of the things you hear about Coach Logan all the time is how honest he was with, with people. And mm-hmm. how, um, especially when he was a coach. I mean, I, I know that when you, you talk to some of the other former players, and they only have great things to talk about when they talk about Coach Logan. Um now you you got to play in two bowl games at ECU. Mm-hmm. Um, what what was that experience like going back to back in bowl games in in those first two years at ECU? Uh, it was amazing. I want to say the first one we went to was the was the Gallery Furniture. Yeah, down in yeah. Houston we played mm-hmm. Texas Tech. Just getting a chance to beat those guys, you know, that was a great experience. A great experience. And then the next year. We played Marshall. That was that. I forgot the name. Double overtime. That was a yes. double overtime loss, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a tough loss. That, that game was crazy. But if you're a football fan, like you would have loved to watch that game. Even, even I was a part of the game. But just watching David Garrard and Brian Leftwich go back and forth, go back mm-hmm. and forth at it, and you know, just watching that game, that was a classic, an uh, instant classic, honestly. Yeah. Uh, so. 
so being a part of that game was was amazing, you know. And it's always it's always rich history between us and Marshall, even dating back to, uh, you know, when the, with the plane crash. So it's a lot of history there with with us and Marshall. And every time we played them, it seems like there's always something that goes on. And with and with that and with that game we played in the bowl game, you know, being up by what thirty points at halftime, mm-hmm. and and then for them to come back and beat us in double overtime. You know, you hate it for that to happen, but as a football fan, you just like, man, that was a good game. It was a yeah. good game. And you, you talk about playing with David Garrard, and I know you moved from receiver to H back when you when you uh, came into your sophomore year. What was that transition like? Well, H back and Coach Logan offenses still was the receiver position. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just um, it's just what we called the slot receiver. He was the H. And sometimes I would be in the backfield and I would be the guy to run the option. Uh, but you still run routes, you know. So it, it really wasn't a big transition for me because I felt like I was always a physical guy. So when it came to getting the pitch from the option, you know, that was just kind of right up my line, you know. And also I had opportunity to run routes as well and catch some balls. So it wasn't a big transition to me. Now, how would – um, you know, you played in the early 2000s. So how would you describe your era – uh, playing under Coach Steve Logan compared to some of the other eras and some of the other uh, teams from ECU history? You know what? We didn't get the wins that we would like to have. Of course, we went to two bowl games. We went to two bowl games. But after my sophomore year, my junior year senior, which which my, my senior was under John Thompson. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have finished off my last two years stronger than what we did as a team, mm-hmm. as a team. But when I look back at Coach Logan era, I look at tough. It was tough because during those times, and even Coach Logan era and before, you know, we had three a days back then during training camp, wow. during the summertime. Wow. We used to have a three. <laughs> That's crazy. Yes, yes, it was three days in this North Carolina humidity. Yeah. was crazy. And then Green you still had humidity at that. Yes. And then you had uh, Coach Connors. Uh, this was right before he went to North Carolina. You know, his offseason program was anything I ever heard of. Mm-hmm. I still don't understand how I even made it through it because there wasn't a lot of regulations on certain things that you could do during the summertime when it came to strength and conditioning. And Coach Connors is a big-time conditioning guy, a weightlifting guy. He's a hard-nosed guy. And just being under his program, his strength program, it really helped me out a ton when it came to my mental, the mental capacity and understanding how to be mentally strong. He helped me out a ton because every single day I worked out with him, I felt like I was about to die every single day. But it pushed me to a whole nother level mentally. Uh, Things I went through with him, you know, it just prepared me for life. Yeah, and I, going into that, I mean, talking about what prepared you for life, I know your time at ECU, you said prepared you for the NFL. Um, what, what was that like your senior year? So you, your first two years of college, you were playing on a pretty good team, a team that, I mean, was getting some national recognition here and there. Mm-hmm. But then your uh, junior and senior years, you're uh, you're playing on a team that is kind of on the on the backslide of of greatness or of of a good of a good quality team. What was mm-hmm. that like preparing for maybe getting drafted um, and then getting ready to maybe sign even as an undrafted free agent, which you ultimately did with the Cowboys? What, mm-hmm. what was that like uh, through that transition? It was again, it was a tough a tough transition uh, because you know, coach. Coach John Thompson came in my senior year. Yep. And I think and I think that was a another big part of the reason why we kinda we kinda stumbled a little bit my senior year. We did we wasn't as successful. It was a transitioning year. You know, uh, Coach Thompson did a great job. That's my guy. I always tell people all the time, that's my guy. I don't like when people talk about Coach Thompson. <laughs> uh, because he he helped me out a lot as well. But it was just that transitioning period. You know, it was just different things that was going on. And, you know, but we had a lot of talent on that team that senior because you still had you had myself, you had Bonte Leach, yep. you had wow. uh, Brian Renf, 
Uh, you had Demain Duckett. You know, all these guys, we spent time in the NFL. You know, we played in the NFL uh, either for a long, a long time or for a short period. But he, even though we had talent on that team, mm. uh, then you had uh, Art Brown, which to me was probably one of the better running backs that came through here that may didn't get the recognition. Uh, Marvin Towns, just a lot of different names that we had. We had a lot of talent on that team. We just couldn't put the wins together. You know, uh, so the transition was tough. But, again, that prepared me for the NFL as well when it comes to coaching changes when it came throughout the NFL and me changing from team different teams throughout my career. Now, getting to your NFL career, uh, you played for the Cowboys, the Saints, the Ravens, and the Chiefs. Uh, mm -hmm. So how was it being a journeyman in the NFL and what organization would you say was your favorite to play for? So I ended up retiring in my 10th year. I played nine actual seasons, but in my 10th year, I retired right after training camp. Mm -hmm. So just being able to be a journeyman is something that a lot of people would say, you know, uh, he's a journeyman. But for me, of course, I wanted to stay on one team for the entire time. Right. But for me, that wasn't my path, and, and I was fine with it. But I just really loved the fact that I was to a team that really wanted me there. Every team I went to, I really can say they wanted me to be there. You know, and that's that's all you can – that's all you want. You just mm -hmm. want to be wanted. And and teams that understand what you bring to the table and, and can appreciate it, and that's how I was. And I told a story not so long ago, but – one thing I try to tell a lot, a lot of the young kids uh, when it comes to not burning bridges. So my way of staying in the league as long as I did, for one, I had, I was a tough kid. I could play ball. I was, I was talented. But when I got to Dallas, Bill Parcells was my uh, head coach. Todd Haley was my receiver coach. Sean Payton was my offensive coordinator. Awful and so legends. I played. Yeah. So I was, I was in Dallas for two years and, while I was in Dallas, you know, we played the Eagles two, twice, two times a year because they were in our division. Mm. So my two years in Dallas, I played the Eagles four times. And then once I left Dallas, Sean Payton now was the head coach for the New Orleans Saints. So as soon as I cleared waivers, the next day, Sean Payton picked me up in New Orleans because he knew the type of guy I was. Uh, he knew I was going to keep the locker room straight. Mm -hmm. And I was just a tough receiver. And so once I left New Orleans – I picked up by Baltimore. Now, when I was in New Orleans, I was in New Orleans for three years. Just so happened we had a contract with, with the Eagles, how the schedule shaped out, that we played the Eagles every year those three years, it seemed like. And then we played them again in the playoffs. So in my five years in the NFL, I played, I done played the Eagles about seven times mm -hmm. out of my five years in, playing in the NFL. So when I leave New Orleans, I go to Baltimore. Now, the head coach for Baltimore was the Philadelphia Eagles special teams coach all those years. So, and I used to have great games against the Eagles on special teams. So once I left New Orleans, coach Harbaugh, he picked me up in Baltimore because he knew the things I could do by him coaching against me. We was with the Eagles. Mm -hmm. So once I leave uh, Baltimore and I watch how it goes full circle. Once I leave Baltimore, I get picked up by Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the head coach for the Kansas City Chiefs was used to be my receiver coach in Dallas, Todd Haley. Wow. He picked me up, and I'm in Kansas City. And I stayed in Kansas City even after Coach Haley left. You know, so it's all about relationships, you mm -hmm. know. It's, and I've seen a lot of guys that was better than me get released, uh, didn't make the team. You know, so a lot of things you, you can't control – only thing you can control is the is the way you work, the way you go about your business, uh, staying on your knees, praying. Uh, that's huge. That's a big part of it. And just relationships because a lot of stuff you just cannot control, uh, but you got to roll with the punches. Yeah, wow. That's, that, that's an awesome answer to that question. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've always thought about, okay, you see these guys, and it doesn't matter what sport they're in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of these guys that go around to different teams and they play in, in these different systems and, and on these different franchises, you, you never really think about, like, what goes into that. But mm -hmm. 
you just gave, you just broke it down for us yeah. really really <laughs> easily and succinctly and I, I mean honestly I that I mean that's great to hear that I mean that's how things should be if you if you can have the ability but also have good character and be yeah. able to um, build those relationships there's no reason you shouldn't be able to keep going and keep your career going because of that um, yeah now going back to your Saints days and and me and Artie had this discussion <laughs> earlier. Uh, so I'm a Falcons fan, okay? Okay, uh, okay. So a lot of people don't talk about the rivalry between the Saints and Falcons. What, what are, what's your take on, on that rivalry? It is, it's a big rivalry. It's okay. a big rivalry. Uh, that's one thing I can say. To me, I don't think it's as big as some other rivalries that I played in. But it is, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for New Orleans. And, and I, at the end of the day, a lot of the times, it's between those two teams that's fighting for the division. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's between those two teams. So that even that makes that rivalry even bigger. But not to get off New Orleans subject, but the biggest rivalry that I've played in, and a lot of people think it's the Cowboys and, and the Redskins. It's not. That's just the one that get the most notoriety. Yeah, and I, and I had mentioned that to Jared earlier. That's that's <laughs> what I thought was the biggest one. <laughs> yeah. the, the biggest rivalry to me personally, I mean, of course, the Cowboys and Redskins. That's that's got that long history behind it. Mm -hmm. But it's the Ravens and the Steelers. That okay, rivalry, yeah. that rivalry is on a whole nother level, you know. And and you never really understand it until you play on one of those teams and y'all play each other. Mm -hmm. that's on a whole nother level. That's the biggest rivalry I feel like is in the game of football. Because I feel like it's guys really trying to put people on stretchers, right? I mean, every time I see a yes. Ravens-Steelers game, I mean, they're really trying to – I mean, oh, they're yeah, head busters. They're really trying it, to hurt it, people. It is yes. must-watch TV. Yeah, absolutely. And the games are thrilling. Yes. The games are physical, super physical. And not just not just on the field. You got fans that's in the stands fighting all the time. Yeah, It is a physical game in the stands and on the field. Yeah, and I, I've always just wanted to hear it from somebody that, that played it, part of that rivalry. A lot of people don't talk about the the Falcons Saints rivalry, but yeah, hands down, like I, I know for a fact that that Steelers Ravens rivalry That's is big time, yeah. big time. Um, yes, I mean that, and then you got, I mean, also Dallas, like we said, Dallas, and pretty much. Everybody. Yeah, Dallas everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that, that whole division is a rivalry, if yeah. you ask me. Yes. Um, yeah. So I also wanted to kind of go back to a, a moment, kind of going back to your time with the Saints. And mm -hmm. you, I, I was watching some some highlights. When, when you scored that uh, Hail Mary, caught that Hail Mary pass <laughs> in the half against the Falcons, what, what uh -huh. was that like? Um, just, just any Hail Mary pass catching one in the end zone has got to be great. But, I mean, to do it in the NFL, what, what was that like? First off, I, I tell people, I tell my coaches all the time, listen, for some reason, I don't know what it is, for some reason I'm great at catching Hail Marys. <laughs> you know, even when, even when I was in uh, – when I played for uh, the Pirates here, we threw a Hail Mary. And, and I actually ended up catching, and we didn't score because we had got a penalty to push us back five yards, and I caught the Hail Mary on the five, so we didn't get in to score. But And I caught another one some other time. So I've caught probably about three or four Hail Marys in my entire career. I, I have a knack for timing them up for some reason. But anyway, back to that uh, a big-time game, you know, and going into halftime, that was a huge boost for us going into halftime. The, the thing that I remember the most about it, is me catching a Hail Mary, and this, and this may sound crazy, but when I get up to spike it, because I was going to spike it as hard as I could, <laughs> Reggie Bush jumps on me and throws my spike off, and the ball kind of slips out of my hand and just messed the whole moment up, you know, so, but that was something, that's the biggest thing I remember about that Hail Mary. Of course, it was a big-time play. I just remember yeah. Reggie messing my spike up. Come on, Reggie. <laughs> and I mean, you played in the first game back in in the Superdome after after crazy. Katrina. What was crazy, that like? yeah. emotional, emotional to the point to where because a lot of people died in the Superdome because mm -hmm. that was a place of of refuge when it came to the flood. 
So a lot of people lost family members there. Uh, a lot of people remember the Superdome as, you know, I guess two different ways. Sometimes they're looking at it as, as a safe place, you know, where they had a lot of memories. And some people could look at the Superdome as, you know, they, they lost family members there. Mm-hmm. You know, so either way, it's an emotional place for Saints fans to come. And on that day, by us coming out and beating them, beating Atlanta, playing our, our rival in New Orleans and beating them the way we beat them. Huge. You had, and it was so many celebrities down there, but you had so many people after that game crying. I'm talking about boo-hoo crying, not just shedding tears. They was boo-hoo crying. You got players on the sideline boo-hoo crying. You got people in the stands. You got grown men boo-hoo crying. It was just so emotional, you know, in dealing with um, Hurricane Katrina and the aftermaths of it, you know. So, but it, it, it really just, but it gave the city hope, you know, that the Saints are back, you know. Uh, we have something forward. To, we have something to look forward to, and and it, it really just gave the city hope, especially with Drew Brees coming to town, mm-hmm. uh, Reggie Bush coming to town. We drafted Marcus Colston that year. You know, Marcus Colston is a Hall of Famer. You know, he was he got drafted as a seven rounder. You know, so it was a lot of hopes uh, after that after that game was over about what we could do. And we went on to have a great season. We went to the NFC East, I want to say, championship game, and lost to Chicago. But that city that that year was a great year to remember. Uh, every time we got back uh, from games, you know, you have hundreds or probably about a thousand fans waiting at the airport for us to greet us when we came back home. Uh, so it was, it was an amazing year. Wow. That, that, that's powerful to hear. Um, and then lastly, you're about your NFL days, looking back at another team that you played for the Kansas city chiefs. They found, they finally break the hump and they, they win a super bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing that and witnessing that, um, can you, can you kind of give us some insight into what you were thinking or feeling as a former Kansas City Chief? I felt like that Super Bowl was for every alumni that ever ever played in Kansas City. Every, every Anybody that ever been a part of the Kansas City organization. Because when you get there, and a lot of people don't understand this, the Kansas City organization history is so rich when it comes to the NFL and the merging of the NFL. Uh, if you think about it, the, the AFC championship trophy is, you know, the Kansas City owner, uh, it's his name, it's his father, Lamar Hunt. It's mm-hmm. the Lamar yes. Hunt trophy. That is the Kansas City owner's, uh, that's his owner. That's the owner of it or the founder. You know, so, and once you get to Kansas City, they do a great job of teaching you the history of the Kansas City Chiefs. And so when you're there, you're like, man, you want to play for this organization because you want to bring that trophy back to Kansas City where it originated from. That's what you want to do. And and just the kingdom, when I say the kingdom, I'm talking about the fan base in Kansas City. It is like a college fan base. They love the Kansas City Chiefs. They love us. And and they love, they love their team. They love just everything about Kansas City. They bleed red. They bleed it. And you want you wanted to you wanted to win that Super Bowl for the fans because the type of fans that they have there are unbelievable. And so when they won that Super Bowl, it felt like that Super Bowl was for everybody that was ever a part of that organization because we was all fighting for the same cause to really bring that Super Bowl back home to Kansas City. Wow. That, that that's awesome to hear. And and also getting getting to the fan bases, would you would you say that the Kansas City fan base is a little bit more rabid than the New Orleans fan base? Because I always thought, you know, the, the Saints fan base was like the most rabid, uh, wild fan base in the NFL. So mm-hmm. what would you what would you so so this is what I would say about fan bases. Uh, I wasn't in in Baltimore long enough to really get that vibe of the fan base like I was with the other places playing uh, for multiple years there. I played a half a year with Baltimore. Mm-hmm. The Cowboys have the the most fans, right? They got the most fans everywhere. The Cowboys do. The Kansas City Chiefs has diehard fans. Mm-hmm. You know they love them. 
they're diehard fans. But the New Orleans Saints fan base is, you can't even call it a fan base. You got to call New Orleans Saints fan base family. Wow. They treat you like family. They don't treat you like, you know, it's a different vibe down there. Mm -hmm. So I would say, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs, they have an amazing fan base. I love the Kansas City Chiefs fan base. I love them. But New Orleans, it goes a little deeper. Yeah. It, it goes a little deeper than just being fans, you know. So that's the distinction between those three organizations. Amazing organizations, but all three of them has a distinct difference when it comes to their fan base. And But all of it is good. All of it is right. good. And I, and I doubt that they treat me like family if I walk in there with a Roddy White jersey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Terrence, you, so moving on, a, after you've uh, you've retired, you I, I want to talk about the uh, the business you you started, the Premier Sports Academy. Talk, mm -hmm. talk about um, what you do with that and what's what's going on with that. So so once I retired, always knew I wanted to. Uh, give back to the youth. Uh, that's something I have been doing ever since I got into the NFL. Uh, I just come home and throw football camps, uh, do different things in the community. Uh, when it came to the high school, when it came to uh, the rec league in, in my hometown. So I always, I knew I was going to come back and do something when it came to the youth. So I, I wanted to open up a sports academy and I wanted to be able to give kids something that I didn't have when I was coming up. Because I looked at it this way. If I knew back then what I know now, I would have been that much of a better student, that much of a better athlete. Mentally, I've been tougher because now I know how to get over certain hurdles that comes upon us. You know, so I opened up a sports academy. And with the sports academy, uh, we have summer programs in the summer. Uh, we, have, uh, we have tutoring my daughter, actually, she helps do the tutoring uh, to some of the kids that come in there. Uh, we train for football, basketball, uh, soccer. We have basketball leagues. We have travel basketball. We do seven-on-seven -seven leagues. Uh, we train for the NFL Combine. So we, we train all type of athletes, girls, boys. It doesn't matter. Ages six on up to pros and different things that we do. Uh, so – that is something that I mean, if you come there, you're not just going to see, you know, that I'm the face of it. You're going to see me there. Uh, the majority of my, I work, I work more now than I did when I was in the NFL, you know, and, and all my time is dedicated at the premier sports Academy uh, where it goes to mentoring kids, uh, helping kids become better athletes, uh, talking to them about uh, just the different things that life is going to bring to you and the way you can overcome these things, you know, so, it's a full program, and and we love just being able to give back to the kids, and and that's what that's what I believe in. And that's that's absolutely great to hear because a lot of these guys, you know, they they play in the league and they make their money, and then they kind of just fade off into the into the distance and don't you know kind of keep to themselves. So it's it's great to hear that you've actually not just you know started this uh, Premier Sports Academy, but you're giving your time. You're actually going out and you're mentoring these kids and you're developing these kids into better human beings and better people uh, to mm -hmm. go out and actually, you know, uh, you know, you know, appropriate themselves in society well. And so it's, it's just great to hear that, you know, former player is actually giving his time uh, to his community. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I echo what Artie's saying. I mean, I, I think that seeing somebody like you, a professional athlete, um, somebody that, I mean, is openly talking about his faith and talking about um, his path to the league. I, I think that I think that's great, and um, it's fantastic to see, and it's fantastic to hear because um, a lot of times you you don't hear that story. You don't hear the story of somebody that overcame something or um, kind of went through um, their trying times and then made it to the made it to the league it's raining outside. sorry it is like it's like raining cats and dogs yeah. and I, I, outside of the window here and i was like holy crap um um but i, I can hear it even through my headphones yeah. and, um, wow but yeah that's uh 
that's uh what we what we like to hear and I, I wanted to ask you one last thing about about your um about your son mm-hmm. he, now that he's enrolled at ECU what what is that like uh knowing that it's kind of come full circle your son's enrolled at ECU he's he's gonna play at ECU he's gonna put on the purple and gold just like you did you know what it's Sometimes it's hard to kind of believe. It's hard. It's hard for it to set in, you know. But it is. It's truly amazing, and I and I'm, I'm just proud of him. I tell him that all the time. I'm proud of him, and and that's one thing that's gonna, one thing everybody's gonna see, is like I said. I don't have to boast and brag about him, but, and a lot of people that know me personally know I don't boast and brag about my children, mm-hmm. but my son. It's one of the toughest kids I ever met in my life. Uh, physically, he is physically, mentally, he is one of the toughest kids. And I'm not just saying it because he's my son. I promise you, he's one of the toughest kids I ever met. Uh, the things that he that he that he deals with and gets through uh, physically, the things that he go through physically uh, on the football field, uh, practice, different things like that. One thing I can tell you. Anytime he's hurt, like really hurt, you know, you still would never know it. The only time you would know it is if he's really, really hurt and he can't get through it, you know. But besides that, he could be hurt. You would never know it. You would never know it. I'm talking about seriously hurt, but you would never know it. Like I said, but he's one of the toughest kids I've ever met, and he works his butt off. There's times where – of course, I, I teach him some things and I work with him on things, but it's not like I have to keep pushing him to get out there and do it. He gets out on his own. You know, he work on route running on his own. Uh, when I'm not helping him, he gets up 6 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, especially during the pandemic. He gets out. He's in the neighborhood, running around the neighborhood. I don't have to get up and tell him to do these things. He just does it on his own. He goes to the break room by himself when, when I'm not helping him. And he gets work. He works his butt off. And I told him, I said, man, you just keep this work ethic up. I said, because one thing about it is you're a tougher kid than I was. Uh, his, he, he's, he's strapped in a lot more than I was when I was his age. You know, I had all different types of, of distractions when I was his age. But he's so focused and he's willing to work his butt off to get what he want. And, and, I, and I always tell him, listen, it's going to be a tough road. Uh, especially with him coming in as a as a, um, as a preferred walk on, even even though, you know he's on the team, but he's still a preferred walk on. He's gonna have to bust his tail, you know, to really show everybody who he is and what he, what he brings to the table. But I'm completely sure that's gonna happen um, because of his work ethic and because of, and he's talented, you know. So I'm I'm looking forward to once he get a chance to get on the field and really showcase not just Greenville, but showcase the world his talent because he's, he's truly a talent. Yeah. We're excited to see him join uh, ECU and join the ECU football team. We, we're really excited to see that. Um, and if he takes anything after you, it, it'll, it'll be great to, to have him be a true pirate, just like yourself. Unfortunately, our interview was uh, cut a little bit short this week uh, with Terrence. We, we hate that we weren't able to ask him the subdogs question, but he's already agreed to come back on, and uh, we'll, we'll have him back on soon. Um, we're sorry about the, the interview being cut a little bit short. Um, we had an issue with our audio um, on both ends. So, yeah, um, we hope you enjoyed the interview, and here's the rest of the podcast. Once again, we uh, wanted to thank Terrence Copper for joining us on the Boneyard Podcast this week. Really great talking to Terrence. Um, so, yeah, we wanted to get to some Twitter questions before we wrap up today. Our first Twitter question comes from Rich. Uh, Rich, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Is it Devital Davida the Third? Don't butcher the man's name now. I think it's Davida the Third, RD3. Um, how do you guys see the QB position playing out? Over the next few seasons, Ehlers is the guy, but Garcia is the top-rated quarterback recruit we've ever had, and Stubblefield looks fantastic on tape. Plus, Hudson and Moss can't imagine 
they are all still here over the next few seasons. Well, Rich, that's a probably that's probably a pretty good am analysis of what's going to happen over the next yeah. couple of years. So we kind of went over this earlier. My my take is Holden. He's number one on depth chart this year. It goes Holden, then it goes Brian Gag, then you probably have Mason Garcia, and then Stubblefield, Flynn. Hudson, something like that. That that's probably my that's that's probably my depth chart for ECU quarterbacks right now. So Ehlers is the guy until he decides to either go into the draft in two years mm-hmm. or transfer out after his senior season and be a grad transfer. That is completely up to him. That's gonna but that's gonna be when his time is up at ECU. He's going to be the starting quarterback, barring any issues going forward. Okay, Brian Gag is the number two, and I think there's some question whether Mason Garcia can unseat Brian Gag, but there was also a question is of will Mason Garcia be here um, in a couple of years? And I don't know. With, with his talent, with his size, with his ability, I don't know if he's going to stay and if he's going to play for ECU. be great if he did. He might go down as one of the greatest ECU – he'll go, probably go down as one of the greatest ECU quarterbacks of all time if he does get um, a full career here at ECU. Because um, he'll probably redshirt after playing four games this season. That would be the smart thing if the coaches handle it correctly. Um, then I don't know if, if that does happen, if they start to show, okay, yeah, Mason Garcia's number two on the depth chart, Brian Gag drops a little bit. Well, Brian Gag decided – Transfer out, and then you have Stubblefield, who's kind of waiting in the in the um, quarterback room, saying, "Okay, well, maybe he's seeing things kind of like we are right now. Maybe Mason Garcia transfers out because he's got some ability. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he stays here. Then I'll transfer out. So one of those two guys, I guarantee you, I'm I'm not going to guarantee it, but I'm almost willing to guarantee." that one of those guys will transfer out by the time mm-hmm. their college career is over. Um, that's just fact of life. That's going to happen. It, it's bound to happen with the amount of talent that is in this recruiting class among QBs. Um, so, yeah, I think for now, Hole Nailers, number one. Brian Gag, number two. Mason Garcia, number three. Stubblefield, four. Flynn, five. Hudson six, I think that's your I think that's your depth chart. Um, I foresee there being a QB controversy among Garcia and Brian Gag next year and going forward. Um, so that that's when that's when you should start to see some competition because Brian Gag right now he's number two because he has experience in the program. Artie, your take. Yeah, I mean, um, you, you know, you, you went into great depth on that, and I, I concur with you. Um, there is no quarterback controversy. The number one is secure. You know, there has to be competition. Well, not I wouldn't say not competition, but, you know, there has to be some, some, some drama at the number one for it to be a real quarterback controversy, and there's no right. controversy there. Um, Houghton is the guy. As long as he continues to do what he did those that back half of, of last season, it's really not even that close. He's going to be the guy this year, and he's going to be the guy next year. Um, you know, in a perfect world – it's Houghton this year, it's Houghton next year, um, and then Garcia kind of develops into that guy that everybody thinks he's going to be and takes over the reins and just takes the program off from where Houghton, wherever Houghton leaves the program, which I'm assuming is going to be in great shape by the time Houghton leaves. Um, but it's not a perfect world. And so, like you said, very, very talented. If he does get a, get a, get a hold of the system, get a reign of the system, compete for that second gig behind, you know, uh, Brian Gag. Um, I could see him transferring. I could, I could see him saying, hey, "Look, I'm, I'm way too talented to, to sit behind this guy who, and I think I can play just as well as him, if not better." Um, so, it, you know, in, in a perfect world, it's Ailers for the, for the next two years. Then it's a transition to Garcia. But I could see Garcia transferring out. Um, I know Gag is, you know, very, very talented at, at the quarterback position. We got six quarterbacks. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> that's that's a lot of quarterbacks on a team. Um, only one can start. So, you know, it, it, it sucks, but that's, that's, that's how the cookie crumbles. Um, but as far as the controversy question goes, 
this is Holt Naylor's team, and uh, it's going to be his team for the next two years. Yeah, and so then the next question comes from our buddy Petey. He's, he's been sending in questions left and right over the past couple of weeks. But um, uh, his question is, looking at the looking at the incoming freshman class, class of 2020, which freshman is most poised to make an impact right now? Um, Ooh, that's a good question. My, my answer, personally, I'm looking at Rajai Harris to come in and, and make an impact. Um, I think that running back room has some room to grow. Yeah, Demetrius Mooney, Darius Penix, those guys are great guys. Those guys are great running backs. But I think Rajai Harris, I think his – um, I think his ability coming out of high school is just it, it. It's bar none one of the best that we've had mm-hmm. coming out of high school. Um, so I, I'm interested to see how that plays out. I'm also interested. Uh, I was reading uh, Stephen Igo talking about Shane Calhoun. He's the number two rated uh, incoming freshman on the in this class. I think uh, as a tight end, he might even see some starts. As a freshman, too, he might start as a true freshman right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, Artie, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy, I guess, right? Because I figured you were going to pick Rajah Harris as as your pick, which obviously that would have been my number one, number one too. But I wanted to kind of go on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, a kid that that comes from Page High School, which is right here in Greensboro, North Carolina, where we re, uh, record, uh, by the name of C.J. Crump, cornerback, 170 pound cornerback out of Page High School. Um, seeing a lot of his highlights, uh, kid is, a, he, he's just, an, he's, he's a workhorse, um, played offense, played defense, played special teams, can fly all over the field and, you know, defensively at the, especially at the cornerback and at the safety position, that's kind of where we've been lacking in the lat, you know, in, on the defensive side of the ball the last few years. So very excited to see him come in and see if he can push. Uh, for maybe a, you know, I don't know if he's going to start because we do have some guys, you know, we had Nigel Knott uh, who just transferred. We have another guy that, that that's really good at the quarterback position, so he's probably not going to start. Um, but to maybe see the, if, if he can get some playing time, get, a, uh, you know, adjusted to the system. Um, really excited to see C.J. Crump come in as a true freshman and see if he can really do something on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and I, I think another guy to really pay attention to um some some other guys on the defense. I mean, I think Tegan Wilk, mm-hmm. safety, um, out of Pennsylvania. I think he's uh he's kind of one of those underrated guys. Yeah, he's uh probably a top fifteen guy in our class, but I, I think that there's there's plenty of room for him to grow and I, I think that he'll uh he'll he may make an impact this year. Um and then somebody else to look out for, you have uh Javion McCray. Yep, that's of, another one. Out mm-hmm. of West Brunswick uh, High School, defensive tackle. That that's another guy that I think can come in and really make some make some noise on the. That's defense. a big boy. He is. That's a big boy. That's a horse. He is. He's six one, two hundred eighty five pounds. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I think those are some great guys. Um, but already, I, th- I think it's time for us to wrap it up. Absolutely. Um, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts, man. Just really, uh, really enjoyed the interview with uh with uh, Terrence Copper today. Uh, so shout out to him and everything that he's doing with his organization uh, back home in the in the 252 area. Um, and that's really all I've got, man. Stay safe, Power Nation. We love you. And uh, until next week. Yeah, so um, my final thought, just wanted to say uh, thank you again, Terrence. Also wanted to um, let, you, let everybody know, next week we will be doing a different type of uh, podcast. We're going to have C. Austin Cox. That um, interview's already been recorded. We're going to play that interview for you next week. We're going to do an AAC breakdown, an American Conference breakdown. If you don't know, C. Austin Cox hosts the AAC Daily Podcast, mm-hmm. um, which is a podcast covering the American Conference. We're going to break down the American Conference, talk about some dark horses, some things to watch out for um, with this coming season. So stay tuned for that. We'll be dropping that probably on Thursday before everybody starts traveling to the beach or wherever you're going. Um, we hope that you all have a safe and fun um, July 4th and want to wish ha- – America, happy birthday. Absolutely. So, Enjoy your fourth, everybody, but stay safe. And uh, watch out. We'll, we'll, we'll probably try to do something live. And We didn't do it the last time. We didn't time. do it last yeah. time. <laughs> so we probably got to do something this time. How about this, Artie? I'm going to send out a tweet for if we get, like, how, how many retweets do you want to say? Well, you and I will shotgun how many beers for, for how many retweets. I'll shotgun at least three beers if we get 50 retweets. Uh, 
retweets. Back to back to back. Yes. Okay. Three beers back to back to back. If we get fifty retweets, gotta get fifty. All right. We'll uh, we'll put that tweet out there. Okay. So thanks again, guys. Uh, thanks for listening to the Boneyard Podcast, and we'll talk soon. Thanks.